sport administrators, sport fans and participants themselves. Sarah and Ash sit down with a bunch of inspiring female leaders from within the sports industry who share their journey of achieving their aspirations. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming Ingrid Akasain to the podcast. As a highly experienced senior major event and program manager, Ingrid has a proven track record of successfully fulfilling senior positions for major international multi-sport events. This includes the Olympics, Paralympics, Commonwealth Asian, Pan Pacific and the first European Games. In addition to that, Ingrid is also very passionate about sharing her experiences with the sports management industry, which makes her a perfect guest for our podcast. Welcome, Ingrid. Thank you. Welcome, Ingrid. Thank you for joining us all the way from Switzerland as well, wasn't it? So Yes, yes. that we always like to hear about, and it's one of mine and Sarah's favourite questions to ask is, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in, in sport and what your first experience might have been like. Oh, well, sport, sport's always been a, a really big part of my life, and I was always very active hockey player. That's field hockey, not ice hockey, as I get confused in Switzerland when I say hockey. So I was always a very active player and member in our club, but that all kind of stopped when I got problems with my knees at university and I wasn't able to play. So although I always liked sport, I guess I never even thought about working in sport. And that was not until I was going to travel to Australia. And an ex-colleague of mine who was then working for the Sydney Olympics actually suggested me to apply. Uh, And so I applied and I had an interview as soon as I landed in Australia. And they kind of said like, well, we'll see if we can get you a visa. And if we do, um, come back. If you don't, then tough luck. And uh, I went on traveling and three weeks later they called up and said, I've got a visa, so come back. So, yeah, so what was supposed to be a couple of months holiday in Australia turned out to be a really great 11 months job and I loved it. But then I went on traveling thinking this is a lifetime, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I just went on with my life until a few months after that, someone that I worked with in Sydney approached me about a job in Manchester for the 2002 Commonwealth Games. And, you know, here we are (laughs) 21 years later. And I still love it. You know, I still work in sport and I still love it. That's great. You can trust a sports mad Australian to wrangle anyone into working in sport at any time, no doubt. (laughs) Yes. So was your first role the in events or sporting events that won at Sydney Olympics? Can you maybe tell us a little bit about what that was like and what it entailed? Yeah, so my first job was in the Sydney Olympics. Uh, I worked for logistics, so my background's in logistics. And before Sydney, I actually worked in China for TNT Logistics for four and a half years. So I came into logistics and I developed and implement and managed the MDS, which is the master delivery schedule. And this project was really about changing a a software system that was designed for the real industry into a system that we could work for deliveries to the Olympic Games. So we centrally handled and scheduled, I think it was more than 300 deliveries every night into all of the Sydney Olympic Park and Darling Harbour venues. So it was a really interesting project, really nice thing to work on. Not many people get to say their first job in sport was for the Olympics. Did it kind of hit you at the time as to what you were working on and how this you were working on a project that was a global event that only comes around once every four years? 
It did and it didn't. Definitely once the game started happening and you see everyone walking around in their volunteer uniforms, you really go like, wow, I am actually really doing this. And before that, it was, you know, it was just a job. You're just in a building with other people working on the same thing, implementing projects. It's not really, and and I was very focused on, you know, doing similar stuff that I did in my previous job about scheduling. So working with suppliers, working with delivery timelines. I worked a lot with the police for the marshalling yard. So it's, it's very similar as a normal job, and it's not really until you're actually in it and you see the enormity of it that that, that hit. But that was amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I, I'm not sure that answers your question, but yes, it's um, – so yes and no. In the beginning, yeah. no, yes. At the end, yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in some of the work we do at the time, you just kind of day to day, you just got to get the stuff done. And it's not until you probably sit back and observe what's going on around you that you, it kind of sinks in to be like, wow, we created this. Yes. And and that's definitely still one of the, the more memorable moments, so to say. I remember that for the opening ceremony of Sydney Olympics, I worked late and, and about 2 or 3 a.m., I was walking back to the Olympic Park because we were just outside of it. And I was walking back over that, that Grand Boulevard and um, in Homebush and just above the stadium, you could see the the torch. And having just seen the torch being lit on TV and then, you know, two hours later, actually walking there and seeing it and seeing that it changed in a completely empty, you know, Sydney Olympic Park was amazing. And, and I think that is still the most memorable feeling that like, oh my God, I am part of this. <laughs> like, this is amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, the torch is so symbolic of the event itself. Yes. You mentioned there that you'd actually worked for a logistics company prior to getting that role at the Olympics and it sort of, I guess, transferred, you transferred those skills into those roles. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like to transfer those skills because obviously sport is such a passion of so many people around the world so no doubt there's people that would listen to this who are working in other areas who would want to get involved in sport and maybe don't think they can because they don't have a sports management degree or something like that but it's it's definitely a path that people can take. Yeah and, it, and it's funny I have to admit I didn't even know there was such a thing as a sports management degree <laughs> until I started working in sport if, if I had known I probably would have done it because I do like it but There's a lot of transferable skills. I mean, project management and time management is obviously the very obvious ones, but a lot of the things are similar from HR to technology to logistics to how to manage teams. Although from a team management point of view, well, one from a personal point of view, events don't really tend to do much on personal development because you only work for them for a short time. And and I do get jealous on some of the training courses that my friends outside of the industry get sent on. But, um, But other than that, when managing teams, the main difference really if you know if we're talking olympics but all the other major events it's it's the scale and the time frame and the scale and the time frame really in how an organization is set up and it grows because it grows so quick you start off with a few people and then you know the last 6 months you just have this steep curve of just people coming in daily almost so you really have to be good at 
you know, making connections, building a team quickly and establishing good working relationships with everyone, you know, in the event. And the other thing I would say is you can't get too comfortable or attached to your desk because you tend to move around a lot <laughs> because the organization yeah. grows and you move for, to venues or you move in the actually actual building you move to venue teams and then you actually move out to the venue so yeah don't get too comfortable in in your desk you touched on something that I did want to ask you about because as someone that works in events as well as you know you've managed stadiums before I think that your stakeholder management and relationship skills would have to be kind of top notch and and what you just mentioned there around you know throughout the year or three or six months out from the the event, you'd be working with a smaller team and then the event kind of workforce comes in where you might be managing a lot more people. How have you developed these skills over your experiences? I think I always was good working with people at kind of all levels and I'm genuinely interested in people. But I think for my work in events, I have worked in so many different areas So logistics, technology, but venue management, workforce, testament. I have seen so many different areas of events that I really know what I'm talking about. So it's actually quite easy to talk to people about their areas that they work in or or what they're interested in or what they have to fix. And, And I can really put myself in their shoes and understand what they need. But I also can really articulate why other people from other functional areas may think differently or don't want what they want. (laughs) So I think that just really helps being kind of a person in the middle and managing expectations. And also, of course, the more you do events, the more you know what's coming. And therefore, you can help people by saying, well, that's okay because the next step we will do this and then everyone will grow and there'll be more people and we will be able to do what you want. Or, you know, so you you can really guide them more. And that's, I think, helpful in managing those relationships. And obviously, those relationships, given the events that you've worked on, can spread across many different countries and you've worked on numerous events all around the world. Is there any glaring differences or similarities that you've seen working across different countries and probably particularly in relation to attitudes towards females in leadership positions? That's quite a difficult question to answer. Of of course, there's differences. Every country is different, but just like every job is different and every team that you work with is different. I think, well, that's what I always try to do. As long as you go into a new job, a new country, a new whatever it is with an open mind and if it's a new country, really open to understand the culture and don't think, don't go in thinking that you know it all, then you do okay. Well, I have. Learning the language is always a good way to also to understand the culture more, but it makes people much more at ease because they think you're, you know, they, they really can see that you're trying. From a work point of view, because I always worked in large multi-sport events, they're kind of always set up very similar. And and in a way that makes it a lot easier because a lot of people work there with previous games experience. So they're kind of in the same zone as working as you are anyway so then it's it's not too hard it's not all too dissimilar but there is always a difference and there's always a challenge that 
in the previous event, this all went wrong. So you're really focused on making sure that doesn't happen and then something completely different goes completely wrong because you didn't know. <laughs> but working from a female point of view, I mean, I've worked in the UK and Australia a few times and I think that's that was fine. I, but I also, I worked in Baku, I worked in Doha, I worked in Rio. And I think I've never, I've studied um, you know, logistics. So I, I guess I was used to being the only female in, in the whole group of, or not the only, but one of the few females in group of, of then, you know, boys and now men. So I it never really bothered me. And I think it's, it's de- you definitely get approached differently. But in Qatar, I was a bit worried. I had uh, an older gentleman working for me and I thought, well, how will that work out? But it was fine because he was really open-minded and, you know, we get to the understanding, this is what I know, this is what you know, and let's make it work. So, yeah, I think as long as you go into it generally and and really have an interest in the people and trying to understand them, then, then yeah, I, have, um, I haven't found it too hard. You, um, you're also an advocate for women in sport Switzerland. Can you tell us a little bit about She Sports Switzerland and what, what the aim of that is? Yeah, so She Sports Switzerland was started before I came here um, by two ladies who work in sport and they were, as they called it, they were looking for their tribe, which is basically other women working in sport want to befriend, but also to support each other's and to do things with. And so what started up as a let's just meet up for a drink ended up with about 70 people attending and then Chief Sports Switzerland was born. So in the beginning, when I came here, it, it was very similar for me as I was just looking for, you know, meeting like-minded people in a new country. But then afterwards, I got more involved and now I'm in the events team. And we organize their events. So we're completely run by volunteers and we actually have a really great and quite a big team. Quite some changes have been made since I joined. We're much more international because before we were very much about meeting up in Lausanne. But now, and it's a bit led by COVID, but we became much more international because we became virtual like everyone else. And it's also much more focused on promoting equality and highlighting issues for women that they may face working in sport or in general. But yeah, we we still like to network and and do sporty meetups if uh, COVID allows us to. But yeah, it's a great group of people. It's a great way to meet people in our industry. And yeah, so I would really recommend your audiences to have a look. We have really interesting Uh, She and he speaks interviews. We have a Slack channel with information and articles, uh, links to jobs. And then we alternate bi-monthly. We do a a We Speak discussion and then we do a Let's Connect networking event. So our next Let's Connect is on the 16th of June, where we're actually going to talk about networking. So besides networking, we're actually also going to talk about the topic networking. So yeah, please join us, although it's our evening time, so maybe not the best time uh, for Australia, but a lot of the things you can listen to um, afterwards. 
That's great. We'll definitely share it in in the notes of this episode. And I also love how you mentioned they were trying to find their tribe because a lot of people and females that work in sport do have, you know, similar mindsets, similar ways of going about things. Is it something for people of all ages? Have you found that there's a really wide variety of of people meeting up? Yeah, definitely. Because we, for instance, here in Lausanne, we have the AISDS, which has a sports master's. So we have a lot of students coming from there. And obviously Lausanne, you know, it's the, as they call it, the capital of the Olympics. So there's the IOC, there's a lot of the federations around here. So there's a lot of people in sport and we have a lot of ranges from, you know, directors and and people up high to people just starting to, yeah, we have a lot of everything. And and now going virtually, I mean, I've met some, uh, I've led the last two Let's Connect meetings and yeah, we've met some amazing people from all over the world. So yeah, it it is really about your tribe because for me, um, when we came to Switzerland, you know, you meet people and, and you meet people through school or through you know, just being around, but it is very different meeting someone who works in the sports industry. You know, even if other people have moved around a lot as well for jobs, it is still different. So, yeah, it's definitely a tribe. You mentioned there finding your tribe. In one of our very first episodes, we had your current business partner on Ingrid Proud, who you work with on a company called Better Events VR. And she mentioned this very briefly towards the end of the episode. And I was very excited by the concept. I think it sounds absolutely amazing. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So yeah, Better Events, it is a new venture that I started with Ingrid Proud, as you said. So Better Events, we think is absolutely amazing. And it's all about utilizing new technology like 3D and 4D planning, but also extended reality technology and applying this in the events industry. So other industries have been doing this and have been you know getting great results Uh, but in the events industry we haven't really used this I think to the fullest extent so we use this technology to really plan and deliver events in a better and a more effective and efficient way so some of the things that we're providing as I said are 3D and 4D planning so in my view as an event planner organizing this is really the greatest tool you can have as it takes you away from that flat 2D CAD idea and drawing, and it really gives people a visual of their venue or their event. And that makes it so much easier to plan because, you know, a picture does really say more than a thousand words or a little box on a on a CAD drawing. So by seeing it, you can then validate and you can reduce all of those last minute changes on the ground because that little box on the CAD drawing is really not as big as you thought or it's a lot bigger than you thought. And it also enables you to work with all the stakeholders in one source of truth remotely. And it allows people to, you know, not only go to a venue and see an empty venue and then stand there with a CAD drawing and think, oh, uh, this is what it's going to look like. But no, it actually gets you to show the venue what it will look like before it's actually built. So you can make the changes and you can make it perfect instead of trying to do that in your period that's already really busy uh, called bump in. (laughs) So yeah, I think that one is for me the best tool that you could have. But we also do virtual reality. So that's a great solution for venue tours, remote or in person, 
you know, in an, in an office environment or VR training session. So this allows for a really immersive experience and there's really great benefits of training in VR for athletes, tech officials, workforce, but also for, you know, the large group of volunteers. And training in VR really gives you a better retention. You can do it at a time that people are available. You can do it a lot closer to the event. So there's a lot of benefits to that. And then the last one that we really work in is augmented reality, which is the mix of digital images with the real world. And, and that's a great way to share information, fan engagement, you know, sponsor activations and, and all that kind of stuff. All sounds absolutely amazing. I am a big advocate for technology in sport and I'm more focused on the grassroots, but I think it can completely change the way people interact with it, and a big passion of ours is obviously retaining volunteers. And and you mentioned that in there, how this can help. And there's there's obviously so many benefits from risk and planning to retention. And it just yeah, it sounds like a really impressive project. Is there an event that you're looking forward to seeing technology like this on there, where you think it can make the most impact? Yes, there's. I think all events, but but I do realise that it is yeah from a budgeting point of view, it is a bigger upfront commitment. So it really, the big events, you know, they can benefit from this so much. And I would love to see it, you know, implemented at the Olympics or at the Commonwealth and and especially the Olympics. They're going into this direction. They're understanding that, you know, other industries are far ahead of them. So they're a lot more open to this. So, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, in the next Olympics, we'll be able to not in Tokyo or Beijing, yeah, in the next one, we'll be able to implement it. You know, your hat in a lot of rings, really. You've, you've got your work, you're doing a lot, being an advocate for women in sport and you've, you're starting up a, your VR company. What would you say has been your biggest challenge in your career within sport to date? I think my biggest challenge is not so much to do with the fact that my career was in sport, but for me, it has really been the balance of kind of having an interesting and challenging job, but also having time with my children. So I took some time off when my daughter was born and I then took a part-time job, which on paper was a, a kind of a lower level position. But, you know, because I worked for people that I knew, I was actually doing the job at my capa- capacity, my knowledge. But it was a real wake-up call that people that I hadn't worked for before or worked with before, they really only looked at the job title and, and it was really a lot harder for people to listen to your experience and I, and I hadn't expected that. And even afterwards, when I then was looking for the next job, it was amazing to see that I was really only being judged on this last part-time job. And somehow all of those 15 years before that I had worked at high positions, uh, they, they somehow didn't really count. So I found that really challenging, but I did end up getting a very exciting and challenging new full-time job when my son was about 10 months old. But that again was hard in a, in a very different way of you know, constantly keeping everything going and trying to balance it and really feeling that you're not really succeeding in either being a great mom or, or being the best at your work. Because before I worked and at events, you just give it your all in the last kind of couple of months. And, and now I didn't want to do that because I also wanted to go home to my kids. 
But before I worked part time, so I had days with the kids and I wasn't having that. So it is that really that feeling that you're kind of not doing anything really well. So after that, I took another part time job um, and that was the job in the Cold Coast, which was great. And I really loved it. And again, I, I worked at the light, right experience level. But again, the job title didn't really align, which then makes it harder for the next job again to showcase because that's really what they're they're looking but to showcase your capabilities and and that you're better than what your job titles may say so that's that i found that challenging yes i think that's a really interesting point that predominantly females only face because most of the time it is the mum having to take part-time work or take time off when you've you've had your children how did you go through that um that time where people looked like they were ignoring the 15 years of experience that you had. I imagine, I don't know, I feel like I would have just been a little bit angry and bitter and outspoken probably more than I should be about it. It's very hard to balance it. I mean, I remember, you know, my first part-time job when my daughter was born was actually for the London Olympics. And I went into workforce and worked on the test event and I just remember being in this meeting where there was a venue operations manager who had never done I'm sure he would have had some sporting experience before but he had never done an Olympics he had never done a major event and he was doing things and I was trying to explain to him that that was really not a good idea in in the most nice way possible and I remember that he just looked at me and like, well, who are you? You're just a workforce manager. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, before this, I was your boss's boss. You know, it's like, how can I get this through without having to? Well, you can't pull rank because it's not your place to be. But, you know, you have so much more to give if only people can open their eyes and look at the person and not the title. And I think that was really, for me, a really big challenge because the people I worked with, I worked with them before and they all acknowledged what I what I did. But then outside of, of our little team, it was just really hard because you were just, you know, the, the job title was this and you're only there for three days. So what do you know, you know? And I just, I guess that's not how I treat people. So I never expected that I would be treated that way. So yes, it was very challenging. I don't think I got angry about it and I try not to be bitter, but it was just, as I said before, it was just eye-opening. It was just a world that I had never imagined was there. Before that, I guess I had never really felt that there was a difference between me and a guy because we were all equal. But that is really a turning point for me to say, oh, okay, we're, we're not. <laughs> I mean, I worked when I was pregnant, I uh, worked from three months to six months. I went to Rio and I worked for the Rio Pan American Games. And then I kind of said to my partner, I said, you know, I'm seven months pregnant when I'm finished. So it's up to you. You need to find the next job. And you know, uh, and that's just how it went. And that happened to be in London. So, yeah, it's um, it was a new world opening up for me. Let's put it that way. I imagine incredibly frustrating, like you said, nothing that you'd experienced before. But I'm sure you've had plenty of amazing, rewarding and positive experiences working in sport and some of the events you've worked on. Can you maybe tell us about what your, your favourite memory or what your most rewarding event that you've worked on was? 
Yeah, so obviously Sydney is on my mind. I think because it's the first one, the impressions are so much bigger. Your first, as I said before, you know, seeing the flame being lit and, and your first opening ceremony, either being there or being so close, that all has so much bigger impact than the second one and the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one. But there's been many, I mean, from seeing our venue on TV in Manchester, you know, I remember just being in a bar after we finished to celebrate that we got through the first day and I just saw our venue come up and the TV screen behind the guys that I was with and, and I just went like, oh, that looks good. And you couldn't see anything behind the scene that it was a mess uh, because on TV it looked absolutely amazing. So that was a really, and so it's maybe not so much memorable, but really the proud moment. So in Doha, I designed and, and, and managed the, well, the guy that worked for me managed then the, the Manchester, the main press centre. So working, walking in the main press centre once it was operational and you know, seeing it work and kind of standing there and going, ha, I decided how big this corridor was, you know, and seeing that the flow works. And it's really sounds really stupid, but it's those kind of things that just makes you really proud of what you've been doing. And of course, memorable is, is to see amazing events and to see amazing athletes do amazing things. And, you know, now even to take my kids to these events, you know, that's all very memorable. And very great. Yeah, that's, that does sound amazing. And you mentioned your your kids there and, and talking about events. What do you think the future holds for you within your career and what's next for Ingrid? Oh, who knows? Um, <laughs> hopefully more fun and 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 great events and but I also work as a consultant and I and I love to teach so I hope I can continue and, and increase my lecturing work so yeah just more of what I'm doing right now at least in the next couple of years and then who knows after that I think Holland has still a secret desire to at some stage hold an Olympics which would be a really nice way to to go back once to the Netherlands. I mean, it shows my age, but I left the Netherlands in 1994 to go study in the UK and, and I've never actually, you know, been back to work. <laughs> so it would be nice to go back and do an event in my home country. Who knows? Home Olympics would be very, very exciting. The way we wrap up this podcast every week is by asking you to share three tips that you would give to a budding female sports administrator. And obviously, you've given so many great tips throughout the, the podcast today. Could you maybe summarise your top three for us? So the first one, I think, you know, as we were talking about before we started the podcast, it is that it is possible and you can make a career out of it. And, you know, seeing it is believing it. So that's why I think, you know, the podcast that you guys are doing is so great. So if you want to do this, you definitely can and you just have to go for it. But I do want to put a but on there that if you do want to work on big events, you have to travel and you have to be willing to move around a lot. So just keep that in mind because that's not for everyone. The second one I would say is don't be afraid to speak up and make your voice heard because teams work so much better when they're diverse and there is really never a stupid question. 
especially not in events where, you know, the learning curve is so steep and there's constantly new people coming in. And the only stupid thing you can do is to sit there and not understand what people are talking about. So just always speak up, ask the question and and make sure you're know what's going on and you can give it your all because that's when you're at your best. And then lastly, when you do work on event, don't put anything off. If you can do it today, do it because you do not know what the challenges are for tomorrow and the deadline is not moving. So that's the main thing about events. That deadline is not moving. On that day, the athletes will run around the track, swim in a swimming pool, whether or not there's there's spectators there, whether or not, you know, the, the flags are there, it is going to happen. So whatever you can do today, do it. Yes, that uh, event deadline is a very scary thing for people who don't work in events. I can't imagine what it's like for people who do work in events. Yeah, I, I think it's actually, it's nice because it's, it, you know, it, it has an end. And, and you know that it's not going to drag on and you know that it's going to happen and it has to happen. You know, the other one to warn people about if you do go in events, maybe afterwards working a normal nine to five job, <laughs> maybe a bit boring. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it goes both ways. Find the balance. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Ingrid. That was um, some amazing pieces of advice and great stories and we wish you all the best with what's next with your um, with your business and, and your consulting and no doubt you'll be on another very big event as soon as they're all back around the world. So good luck. Thank you Thanks, very Ingrid. much. Yeah. It was lovely to talk to you guys. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sports Intuition Podcast. If you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave us a rating and any reviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.